Hello, welcome to River Road Presbyterian Church. This podcast is an audio-only version of Pastor Ray Roberts' weekly sermon. Whether you missed worshiping with us this week, dozed off during the sermon, or are just checking us out for the first time, we welcome you to our River Road family. For those of you who may be new, we would love to have you visit with us. We have two worship services each Sunday, a 9 a.m. informal service and an 11 a.m. traditional worship service that is also live-streamed. You can find that stream, recordings of past services, and learn more about our church and the many ways for you to connect with us at rrpcusa.org. We hope to see you soon. We're in the middle of a sermon series called uh, Do Life. Do Life at River Road Presbyterian Church. Do life together. Do life in Christ. Do life for others. Do life boldly. And that's the theme for today. Do life boldly. And to help us think about that, we're looking at Romans chapter 8, and we're going to begin reading with verse 31. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not withhold his own son, but gave him up for all of us, will he not with him also give us everything else? And who will bring any charge against God's elect It is God who justifies. So who is to condemn? It is Christ Jesus who died. Yes, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God. Who indeed intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril, or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. May God bless this reading of Holy Scripture. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, let us pray. Lord our God, may the words that I speak and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and redeemer, Amen. I'm probably going to tell you a lot about myself by when I tell you this. I think Mr. Bean is genius. Do any of you know Mr. Bean? Any Mr. Bean fans? Uh, Mr. Bean, one of my favorites is, uh, is when he goes to church. And when he gets to church, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's there sitting in a pew... Uh, next to a guy, and he's there, and you know, he's doing all kind of silly things like he does, because, you know, I think it's hilarious. And uh, so at one point, though, the sermon starts, and the, the minister's voice is going on and on and on and on. You know, it's just kind of almost kind of a monotone. And, and Mr. Bean starts to get sleepy, right? And he's, you know, and nodding off, he's catching himself, and nodding off, catching himself, 
And finally, he nods off and he kind of collapses into the guy that's next to him, right? And the guy that's next to him isn't really happy about that. And so he, you know, uh, he, he pushes him back and he's back and he's awake and he's, he realizes he's nodding off again. He's nodding off and he, he tries all kinds, he tries to keep his eyes open like this. And, uh, and it, you know, listen, I've seen it. <laughs> anyway, he, and at one point, uh, you know, he finally, you know, he falls asleep and he collapses face down on the floor in front of him. And there he is, asleep. You know, um, this episode of Mr. Bean is funny because the church has a reputation for being boring. Uh, you know, it wouldn't be as funny if this, I mean, you can't imagine this happening at a rock concert, you know. Ta-da, ta-da, you know, it's not going to happen there. Nobody believe it, right? Or a football game, you know, everybody's cheering, you know, nodding. Not going to happen there, but at church, oh, yeah. They could happen there where the minister's going on and on and on and on. Uh, we have a reputation. People who do what I do have a reputation. What I'm doing right now has a reputation. Being a little dull, boring. You know, Jesus was not boring. He just wasn't. I mean, he said outlandish things. He said, God rules the world. God is breaking into this world to bring healing, and he wants you to be part of it. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. It, it's, it, this, it wasn't boring. It's dangerous. Dangerous. People get upset with people who think that God is at work in the world bringing healing and upholding people's dignity and bringing justice and peace. Jesus was not inviting people to adopt a holy hobby. He was not asking us, well, you need something to do with your life, right? Something to do with your, a holy hobby. That's what you need. That's not what Jesus said, come and follow me. And he promised that if we did come and follow Jesus, it was going to be costly. He said, you know, give all your possessions to the poor and come follow me. He invited people to, to adopt a servant attitude. Come follow me and serve others. A servant attitude? Are you sure? He's, he promised that if we follow him, we're going to have persecution. I mean, it wasn't just like that was like a possibility for Jesus here. Is that was like it was going to happen. It was a warning. And he said, you know, your family's going to think you're nuts. Your family's going to think you're nuts. And they are going to abandon you. But still, pick up your cross and follow me. Jesus said this is the way to abundant life but it didn't mean abundant life and you know like a lot of possessions and stuff what he meant is this is how you truly live this is how you glimpse what life is really about jesus was not boring he was too busy upsetting people he was upsetting people jesus broke the rules he broke the rules you read the gospels there he is breaking the rules he offended people who worship the rules because some people do worship the rules. But it, it, it's, 
It's a way that they uphold their own social standings. If I just follow the rules and, and stay within the boundaries, I'm going to be... People think well of me. People are afraid that if we don't enforce the rules, the world's going to fall apart. Yeah, sometimes I think they may be onto something, but Jesus, he was not boring. He was breaking rules. He risked his reputation by eating with people of ill repute. He risked his reputation. Oh, you know what Jesus is doing again? He's, he's eating with the tax collectors. And that Jesus, he doesn't have any moral compass. He's eating with sinners. Some people want to shame people into conformity. And they, they worry, if we don't marginalize these folks, society is going to fall apart. Jesus called good, proper religious people. People, people like me. He, he would say, you're a hypocrite. Hypocrite, you're just doing it for show. Show religion, right? It's all on the outside. White and sepulchers, but on the inside it's dead. You're straining at gnats and you're missing the important points. And of course, Jesus called out institutional corruption like how religion was being sold in his day and he flipped over to the cashier's table at the temple and powerful people did not like this. You know, they did not crucify Jesus because he was boring. They did not crucify Jesus because he was dull. They crucified him because they were threatened. And then God raised him from the dead. God undid the miscarriage of justice. God vindicated what Jesus is about. And if, if you believe Christ was raised from the dead, it overturns all your assumptions about life. You know, that, that evil just works with impunity, breaking things, breaking people, taking what it wants. The strong take what they want, the, the weak suffer what they must. Or that death is the end of us, or wrongs are never made right, ever. It's just one sad cycle after another. And if you believe Christ is raised from the dead, it puts a spin on things. Like... What counts as a defeat? Jesus looked kind of defeated there on the cross, but he's victorious. Or what's important? Or what counts as a tragedy? You know, maybe the tragedy is not living and dying like Jesus did. Maybe the tragedy is gaining the whole world and gold-plating everything and losing your soul. And when despair drains the color out of life, Jesus' resurrection puts vivid colors back in that this life is good. Jesus was not boring. He was not boring. And yet somehow, the church has this reputation. It's believable that Mr. Bean went to church and fell asleep. It's, that's believable. That's what makes it funny. Because maybe we've all been there. But how did, how, did, how did we make this boring? I, I, I think it's because we are afraid. 
We're afraid. We're afraid of what other people think. Get upset. It's like they got upset with Jesus. We'll offend somebody. We're afraid of what other people think. Russell Moore is the editor of Christianity Today. He wrote a book called Losing Our Religion, uh, an altar call for the evangelical church. He was interviewed on NPR recently. He, he said that he's received a bunch of letters from pastors writing to him because he's, he's the editor of Christianity Today. And they're telling him that they're having essentially the same experience. They preach on a passage like the Sermon on the Mount. It's in Matthew chapter 5. And they're saying things like, turn the other cheek, or blessed are the merciful, or love your enemies, only to find themselves attacked at the door. Some angry parishioner coming up and saying, where'd you get that nonsense? Where'd you get that nonsense? And from Jesus, says the startled pastor. I was literally quoting Jesus. And far from mumbling an apology, apparently the critics are walking away and scoffing, saying, yeah, well, yeah, that doesn't work anymore. That's weak. We're afraid of what people will say. We're afraid. And so we turn the gospel, best news that there ever was, into a Hallmark card. Safe, insipid, dull. Or maybe we think what we're afraid of what God might think. I was talking with a church member <clears throat> about a Sunday school class that took place while I was out with COVID. A couple Sundays ago, Carson Ryan spoke. Any people were at that class, they... They talked about the parable of talents. You know that parable? It's one of the great parables of Jesus, the parable of the talents. A rich landowner uh, is going to go away for a long time, and, and he uh, calls three people before him, and he entrusts a talent, five talents to one. A talent, by the way, is a large amount of money. He entrusts five talents to one person, and three talents to another person, and one talent to the third person. And then goes away for a long time. For a long time, Jesus says. And then he comes back and asks for an accounting. What would you do with the talents I entrusted to you? And the one with the five talents comes forward and said, I invested it. I've got ten talents. Oh, well done, well done, well done, well done. And then the second one comes forward and says, you gave me three talents? I've got six talents. And oh, well done, well done. The one with the one talent comes up and, and says, uh, what do you got? He says, I've got one talent. He said, you didn't invest it? He said, no, I buried it in the ground. Why'd you bury it in the ground? Because I knew what kind of person you are. You're a hard man. You're a hard man who reaps what he does not sow. So apparently the class talked about what, 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 what was the meaning of that phrase? How was that said? Is, it, is, the, is, is that one person with the one talent right? He's a hard man. Reaps what he doesn't sow. If he loses that talent, oh, 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 don't want to 
do that. Don't want to do that. Got to bury it in the ground. Bury it. Keep it safe. Or is he wrong about the character of the man? And if he's wrong about the character of the man, that wasn't what he wanted. He did not want that person to play safe. He wanted him to take a chance, take a risk. He wanted him to be bold. Now, if we envision God as sort of like a heavenly fault finder, and what I've discovered is that there actually are some Christians out there who think that's, you know, God's, God's a heavenly fault finder, eager to pounce on something you do wrong, going to get you. Well, that's our vision of God. We'll never take a chance. We'll be filled with trepidation. And we will never be intrepid. We'll be bland. We won't be bold. And in an exercise of abundant caution, we will bury our talent. You know, there are very few things that are as sad or tragic as burying yourself before you die. But people do it all the time. Not going to take a risk. You know, that's why I picked today's scripture. It speaks of the sort of security we should have if we have faith in Christ. For Paul writes, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. Not our failure. Nothing. Not even the fact that we, we take it out and we hide it because we're afraid to really ever use it. We're afraid to risk it. Because, you know, a lot of faith involves risk. Following Jesus is risky business. Loving somebody is risky business. Forgiving somebody is risky. Confessing that you did wrong. Risky business. That's why so few people want to confess their sins anymore. Oh, I have nothing to confess. Risky business. The faith that we have calls us to take chances for love, to reach out, to be generous, to share. And sometimes it's going to blow up. Not all going to work out. And nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And that is the secret to living boldly. Today we come to this table. It's the table of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here, we remember that Jesus lived boldly. And we're coming here at a scary time. It's a scary world out there right now. For the last 15 years, I've been really interested in global order things and reading about it and stuff. A lot of scary stuff going on. And it could get worse. Can't promise. What's scary is the way that it's come home to us, right? 
I mean, not just, doesn't just stay over there, but there's, I've, I, you've heard me talk about a rise of anti-Semitism. Well, anti-Semitism's gone off the scale, folks. We need to resist it. Islamophobia, off the scale. A poor boy, Michigan, stabbed to death. Boy! Jesus calls us to love our neighbors not because they've got their act together not because they're following the rules not because they're acceptable ones to, but because that's what he did when he risked his life for you and for this world so you'd know what love looks like because I tell you I, I don't know that I'd know if it weren't for Jesus. So as we come to this table, let us remember that he lived his life boldly. He loved boldly. He gave his life willingly. Laid down his life for the sins of the world. And even as they were crucified, he said, Father, forgive them. I mean, it's pretty bold. And he calls you and me to live boldly. So as we do life, let us do it with the boldness of Jesus. This is the table of our Lord Jesus Christ. He invites anyone who trusts in him to come to break bread, to drink the cup, and to share around this table. Let us pray. Oh Lord, our God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for everything about his life. But particularly for the way his life shows us what real life is. That it's about welcoming strangers and feeding the hungry and healing the sick. That it's about celebrating with your friends breaking bread, lifting the cup. It's about living courageously even when in a dangerous you're living in a dangerous time. And we thank you for his courage and how he was faithful to you and to others all through his life. And the way he did everything out of love and the way he risked it all. Pour your Holy Spirit upon us. Pour your Spirit upon these gifts of bread and wine that this bread and wine might be for us Christ's body and blood. Pour your Spirit upon us so that we might be your body in the world so that we might be transformed, renewed, encouraged to live life to its fullest. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.